0: Turn to God's Word, and we are in Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 4. And I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to that book. You've probably by now figured out where Daniel is in your Old Testament, hopefully, if you're uh, following along these last few weeks. But I'll invite you to stand. We're going to read, we're really going to deal with the entire chapter, but it's been my practice here. I'm going to read part of that that kind of sets the stage, and then we'll deal with the entire chapter as we go here. It's rather long, but verse. Eight, uh, I want to read down through verse 18. Daniel 1. Uh, one, 1 through 18 here. In fact, l- before we do that, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and, and minds today. Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in Read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen, amen. Beginning here with verse one, hear God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is eternal, an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was found shelter. On it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass before him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. God, his blessing to that word. Be seated. I want to tell you up front where we're going. This morning, I'd like to be real clear about how it is we can have a right relationship with God. You know, in Genesis and If you're familiar with what happened in Genesis, God creates the earth. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And then we remember that Adam and Eve were tempted. The tempter came and revealed what lies, in fact, behind every sin. He said, when you eat of this tree, this tree that God told you not to eat, when you eat of the fruit of this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God ever since the reality is humanity has wanted to be or often thought it to be God and I want to just tell you this morning the first step toward having a right relationship with God is understanding that you are not God it's the beginning of spiritual and moral sanity and we 're going to talk about this this morning I, in fact let's let's start off today. turn to your neighbor and say, "Hey i I'm, I'm Jeff or whatever your name is, and I'm not God. Just kind of get the prime pumped here. yeah everybody clear? That's an affirmed truth. It's so important to understand, but in fact, if you really think about it, it turns out that that is a much harder confession to make than what we realize. The writer Anne Lamott wrote one time, I love this, the, the biggest difference between you and God is God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> Part of what that means then is the core, at the core of humanity is not just ignorance. Ignorance is not just lack of self-awareness or lack of information or lack of education. It really is, at the core, a pride, a sense of self-sufficiency and stubbornness. It damages relationships beyond my relationship with God. It, It damages my relationship with others. I get toxic to be around when I don't get this right. Dale Jotter sent this to me this week. I, I kind of thought it was funny. It's got uh, uh, this guy and his wife, Margaret. And he says, Margaret, for the last 30 years, all you've done is find mistakes in everything I say. 31 years, dear. 31. I don't know why. I, that just made me chuckle. Anyone resemble that? or we'll, we'll just go on. We'll just move on here. Listen, I want you to know, that the most important discovery you can make this morning is I am not God. But the most important problem that we face is I'm estranged, I'm separated from, I'm not in right relationship with God. And then the most important question is how do I get right with God? Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning. If, if you've been with us throughout this month as we've been studying this book of Daniel, we've, we've been looking at various ways to, to understand our relationship with God. But in the early chapters of this book, one of the things that we do is we meet the king of Babylon, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And he's about to go on a painful journey of realization that he is not God. And I hope this story is gonna be helpful to all of us in this room, but I want it to really speak to those and make it clear to those who feel like, I'm not right with God, I don't know God, I don't really have a relationship with him. Because we don't wanna be fuzzy about this. We don't wanna be fuzzy about it as a church. I don't wanna be fuzzy about it as a person. I want every person here to walk out of this place knowing I'm right with God. How do we get to that point? How do we get there? And I think Nebuchadnezzar's story here is going to show us the way. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And let's admit, it's good to be king. He's got a vast and glorious empire, the empire of his day. And notice here, this is so fascinating, he is the one who is writing this story. He is the one who is telling us this story. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. The truth was, he was looking at a record of achievement unparalleled in human history. He had essentially conquered the known world, and Babylon, by far, was the most renowned city in it. You've heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world well, maybe no wonder was more remarkable than the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Have you heard of those? That was Nebuchadnezzar. The story goes that he built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon for his wife who grew up in a more mountainous area and missed the scenery. So he said, well, we'll bring the scenery to you right here. And so he did. He was magnificently powerful and displayed his magnificent in these gardens. So from his palace, he could look out and see the the double wall that he had built around the city of Babylon, 20 miles in circumference, wide enough that the chariots uh, could, could race along the top of that wall. Nebuchadnezzar, it is said, had constructed it in case anybody was foolish enough to think that they could attack his city. There was simply no way that anyone would ever try to do such a thing. No city like it in the entire world. In fact, the Greek historian Herodotus wrote, in addition to its size, Babylon surpasses in splendor any city in the known world, and Nebuchadnezzar built it. This was his city, it's what he had done. He, he, if, it would not be there if it wasn't for him. And so Nebuchadnezzar knows all this, he's experienced all this, he's led all this. And basically what you get is this worldview of Nebuchadnezzar is the world revolves around me. Now, Nebuchadnezzar of course is not the only one who suffers from this problem. I can think of contemporary folks who tend to suffer from this. We have in fact words and phrases in our day for people who struggle people with messianic complexes or visions of grandiosity or narcissism. There is something about us, let's be honest, especially when we are doing well, that we can get into this notion. I'm all that. Nebuchadnezzar was all that. He's the the man. He's the richest, most powerful guy in the world by far. And so did Nebuchadnezzar think that he had a problem? No, he says, I was prosperous and contented. Even in our day, that's not a problem. Are you kidding me? That's the good life. That's the dream. That's what we'd all like to be able to say. We we go to seminars and we buy books to get where Nebuchadnezzar is. But God thought he had a problem. He has no idea, Nebuchadnezzar, that he is in spiritual peril. You see, one of the great dangers of sin is this sense of self sufficiency. And this is true for all of us. Sin, it carries with this its own sense of blindness, and we're really not aware of what's going on. Other people might see our sin, other people might know about us, but we don't. Somehow, it's disguised. So God launches Nebuchadnezzar on a journey, and as we're going to see, it is a long one, and in fact, a painful journey. It's a battle for his soul, and this particular journey is launched by this dream, and and if you read it, it starts out pretty nice, but it turns pretty dire and so, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, it, it, it scares him, it, it unnerves him, and he says to his advisors, who, who, who do you think the tree in this dream is? And his advisors have no clue. Now, we've seen this, this go before. Of course, I think it's interesting, he tells them the dream this time, I wonder if they just don't have the courage to tell him the interpretation. But, 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 but no one is willing to step up. And of course, he knows his old friend, Daniel. He brings him before him and says, Daniel, I want you to interpret the dream for me. And Daniel does. And the first part sounds pretty good. Daniel says to him in verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Now, that's transcendence. No one's bigger than you. You have it all. Your power extends to the most distant parts of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's listening to that, and it sounds about right. But notice there's no acknowledgement or dependence on God. No awareness that what he has built has been built on the backs of the poor or built on the backs of those who are suffering to to put all this together, those he has enslaved to accomplish all his work. So we come to the second part of the dream. The tree is cut down to a stump, and its branches and the leaves and the glorious fruit are suddenly all gone. Uh, the creatures deserted no more birds living under the shade of the tree the stump is left alone and I wonder how Daniel felt when he says to him Nebuchadnezzar you're the stump in other words you're going to lose it all all that power and all that glory, and all that you thought was under your control, even your ability to reason. Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be gone. It was all uh, something that you thought you earned and you deserved. Listen, it was a gift to you, and what was given to you can be taken away from you, and in fact, it will be taken away. Now in verse 17, we, we, we read there is a, a reason for this. Uh, verse 17 says, The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know. That, that means that everyone may, may learn something from this. So this is for us. If you're living this morning and, and you're probably breathing today, then this is for you. This is a, a, a lesson that we are to learn here. But I, I think about daniel here and the courage it took him to stand before the king and daniel does not stop here he goes on to say therefore your majesty be pleased to accept my advice now i think this is interesting be pleased be happy about what i'm about to say and then he follows that with this renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness Nebuchadnezzar, uh, renounce your sins, renounce your wickedness. Did you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that you are a wicked man? And as we read this story, Daniel is not speaking these words with contempt. I don't think he hates Nebuchadnezzar, I think he's rather fond of him. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, or it could be translated by doing justice. To the poor. You you see what Daniel is doing here is he is speaking what we often call speaking truth to power. How many times do you think Nebuchadnezzar has had someone stand in front of him and say, King, you need to renounce your sins? I don't think it's ever happened before. I want you to imagine then the courage it's taken Daniel to stay. to to say such a thing renounce your sins renounce your wickedness now listen here this is important see Daniel is going to do some very important and serious meddling by the way and I think people get confused by this Daniel does not say you know king Listen, you can live any way you want. You keep doing what you want. All you need to do is, is, is change your thoughts about who is God. I, I want you to, to shift your thinking about your religion. Just swap your religious opinions. Just adopt the name of my God instead of your God's, and you'll be fine. No, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to Change. There has to be a substantive, real change in your life. Renounce your sins. Renounce your wickedness. And you see, Daniel here is starting to to meddle in his personal life. How much money? How much more money do we need to put into those hanging gardens? How many more layers of walls need to go up? How many more palaces need your name inscribed on the Nebuchadnezzar? How many more human beings do you have to enslave and starve and kill to get what you want? You see, this is not just about Nebuchadnezzar changing the name of the God he worships, although it includes that. This is renounce your sins. You need to change And I just want to share with you, you know when a person gets in a right relationship with God, and yes, this sometimes can be painful, and we all need the help of God to accomplish this, but something begins to change in us. We begin to to do things differently and see things differently. Yes, we need help, but I have come to know the truth is about me, I am not God. But it's not just because I'm finite. It's not just because I'm limited. It's because I am sinful. I am wicked. And sometimes I don't even know the extent of my sin. In my heart and and in your heart too. and, and, And this is the truth. We have these patterns of pride. We have this dishonesty or greed or sense of superiority. I have this contempt for others who aren't like me. I, I pass judgment on others so so easily. Never mind sexual immorality or vanity or apathy, or selfishness and deceit and gluttony and hypocrisy. These things they, they get very deep within us. They're a part of us. In fact, we're so used to them sometimes we don't even see them sometimes there's just this veil and we don't really know that that's me. And and, and we see this, you know, if if a, a politician gets caught doing something or sometimes it's a pastor and one of the first things you'll often hear is, well, that's just not me. And that's the problem. It really is me. And the truth is it really is all of us There is this truth. I am not God, but I am a sinner. It's just often that we're pretty good at hiding it or disguising it or lying to ourselves about it. But Nebuchadnezzar, you need to change. Now notice this, Daniel goes on to say, it may be that your prosperity will continue. I think that's interesting. It may be. It sort of depends, Nebuchadnezzar. And so the question is, Nebuchadnezzar, are you willing to listen? Nebuchadnezzar, are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to renounce your sins? Are you willing to change? And, and, and here's the thing. We really aren't sure how Nebuchadnezzar responds. He doesn't tell us in this story. Yet in verse 29, this is what we're told. Notice the timing. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, how is Nebuchadnezzar doing on this humility thing? Uh, Not so well. You remember Joe Namath? How many of you remember Joe Namath? Broadway Joe, uh, quarterback for the New York Jets, you know, a lot, a lot of things could be said. I was watching a YouTube video. Uh, it, it came on in my feed all of a sudden, and it was an interview of, of Joe Namath uh, describing some of his time while he was at the University of Alabama. But I was interested to find out that he wrote an autobiography. He wrote this, and it was self-entitled. This, you gotta love this. It was, I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking every day. That was Joe Namath, right? That's Nebuchadnezzar level, okay? This is where Nebuchadnezzar is. Do you notice? Do you notice how God gave Nebuchadnezzar some time? 12 months, 365 days every day nebuchadnezzar would wake up and he'd have to make a choice you know i remember i had a dream the reality is and you know this about dreams dreams fade and maybe they don't have quite the impact they used to but he had to make a choice no today i'm not going to bend my knee to god he woke up I'm not going to renounce my sins I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing I like it, it makes me feel good I'm not going to show kindness to the poor, I'm not going to change today, I'm not going to give my life to God this is my city my palace, my garden my world maybe he thinks God is just bluffing hadn't happened yet Nothing. Maybe he thinks he can, 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 can outwit God, outsmart him. Maybe he thinks it was just a dream after all. Maybe he says, well, I'm not going to do it today, but maybe tomorrow I'll get right with God. I know where this is headed, but maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow I'll decide. Now, of course, we've got to understand this, don't we? I think that speaks to every person in this room because we need to understand that God's assessment of everyone here is clear. The Bible says, Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word "all, it's a pretty important word. It means everybody. Do you know who that includes then? Me and you. Everybody, everyone. On Christmas Eve this year, I, I noted that the angels, when they made the announcement to the shepherds, they declared, "This is good news for all the people." And then I went through this litany of the alphabet, naming all kinds of people. And some of you, it was so funny hearing your feedback as you you thought, he's not really gonna go through the entire alphabet, is he? But I did because I wanted to make the point. All people, everybody, everybody needs a Savior. Jesus is good news because we've all fallen short. And and God's standards, they're they're not lowered. He's not grading on a curve. He, He is not that kind of God. And the reality is we wouldn't want him to be. He is holy and good and perfect love. Nebuchadnezzar looks out at Babylon and he says, is this not the great city I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty And then verse 31 says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Even as the words were falling off his lips, a voice from heaven came down. And suddenly there's a contradiction. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar is struck down spectacularly. And it turns out that Nebuchadnezzar is not God. Think about that picture. <laughs> Suddenly, his, his mind loses its sanity. He's eating grass with the cattle. He had a great palace, the most magnificent, perhaps in history, built the magnificent gardens. He did it on the backs of the weak and the poor. And while they suffered, he never saw them. And now he is one of them. Homeless, hungry, desperate. Nebuchadnezzar, you are not God and you never were. Now, what does this mean to us? Well, one of the things it means is that, listen, folks, this becomes a warning to us. We don't have to hit this bottom. Now, we all will get there in death, if not sooner, one day, if we don't do something about this relationship with God. But this is a warning, remember in verse 17, this is so that the living may know who the most high God is. And so for seven years, this this journey plays out, it's disgusting and depraved, it's embarrassing. But there's a turning point, however, and that's where I'd like to focus on Seven years go by, and in verse 34, we read. In fact, let me read it from from the NIV here, if I can. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now, this is what I want you to see. This is where I want to focus. There came a point where Nebuchadnezzar looked up. He says, I raised my eyes toward heaven. Now, I want you to know, he is not simply saying physically, I raised my eyes up. No, he's saying something much more significant than that. He is saying, when I looked up, I was looking at a God who transcended me, a God who still loved me, a God who wanted to deal with me. Finally, I asked God to do what I could not do for myself. I could not live a different life. I could not forgive my own sins. I could not give myself a clean slate or create in me a new heart. But when I looked up and I saw heaven, something changed. I, I, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. <laughs> when you're in right relationship with God, everything begins to make sense. Then I. Praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Who's getting the glory now? Who's the majesty now? You see, His eyes have been opened to the truth. Nebuchadnezzar, you are not God. Only God is. Now, listen, that is all God is waiting for because God always responds to a heart of repentance. God is always willing. You may not get it all right. Nebuchadnezzar has some theology he needs to learn. But God is ready and willing to open himself to you if you will just look up. Don Shula, another uh, famous A person in the football realm was the coach of the Miami Dolphins, had an incredible run at one time. Some of you may recall that name. He said he was uh, on vacation in New England and went to the movie theater one snowy night. There were just a handful of people in the theater when he went in, but when his wife and Shula came into the theater, suddenly people began to applaud Well, Shula was kind of secretly pleased and he wanted to make sure that this registered with his wife and he said to her, gosh, I I guess there isn't a place where I'm not known. Well, after the movie was over, he ran into a guy and uh, Shula stuck out his hand and said, "Uh, uh, uh, good to see you. And and Shula said, well, I'm surprised you, you recognized me. And the man said, what? Should I know who you are? We all were glad you came in. The manager said he wasn't going to start the movie until 10 people came into the theater that night. We were just glad someone showed up. He's not God. Some of us live under that delusion. I want you to hear me this morning. Listen, nobody gets right with God based on the performance plan. You know, I was good enough or I was kind enough or I was generous enough. Nobody gets there because they were gifted enough or any of those things. God God says you're not enough and yet he doesn't lower his standards one bit. But this is the thing. While God doesn't lower his standards, (laughs) have you ever thought about how he was willing to lower himself? Jesus the king of kings and the lord of lords his vast dominion his glory forever and ever he humbled himself and he became one of us and he was born to a peasant couple in Bethlehem and he lived a perfect life a life that I could not live and then he died on the cross and he died in my place and he died in Nebuchadnezzar's place and he paid the price for my sin so he the great king of kings and the lord of lords comes and takes my place so that I can have a right relationship with him I don't know about you but that's the good news now here's the thing here's the thing you can know all that you can have it up here and still not be in a right relationship with God you could be in church every week you could know all the great theology and still not be in right relationship with God why is that because you have to respond not well maybe I'll get around to it tomorrow you have to say I'm not God I am a sinner there is a wickedness in me that I don't even know I get glimpses of it and it scares me from time to time but I also know that God you love me and your forgiveness is a gift and you came to the cross because you you want to deal with sin and all of its ugliness but it's also the perfect demonstration of how much you love me I, I accept then I say yes to Renouncing my sin and accepting you as my Lord and my Savior. And, and as long as I have breath, I want to follow you and give you my days. And so I ask you this morning have you made that decision? Do you know with certainty and assurance? It's hard, it's, it's humbling. And the evil one, he is gonna be there to tempt you and try to distract you and try to get you to avoid it and try to get you to procrastinate it. And hear me again, the basic message of the gospel is not go to church, listen to Pastor Jeff, be a good person, be a nice person, give more. It's none of that. It is to understand I am not God, but I know I'm a sinner and I am a man who is loved by Jesus Christ and he died for me so that I can live forever with him because he was raised again on the third day. He's that good, but it's a gift and it's one that you have to receive. And so I ask you this morning, have you said yes? I'd like, to, I'd like to close a little bit differently, maybe just for a moment here, and I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just keep your heads bowed for just a moment. And let this just be a private moment. Don't worry about what others are doing or thinking or going through. I don't know where you are. Maybe you've gone down some rough roads some really wrong roads and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and maybe you're wondering pastor is there enough grace for me can I truly be forgiven can I truly be changed I'm gonna tell you with all certainty what Jesus did was more than enough for you maybe you've been in church for years and years you've gone through the motions you know all the right things to say but you've never really humbled yourself and said yes to the gift of grace. Maybe this is your day. Would you say yes and be sure that God, I want to confess my sin to you and I want Jesus, all of Jesus for me. I want to walk out of this place knowing this, that I am in right relationship with you. Just take that moment. Take stock. Hear his voice. Friend, if, if you are praying a very sincere prayer of asking God this morning to forgive your sin, you are renouncing your sin. You're willing to change and ask Jesus to be your savior I want to ask you to do something. I just want you to look up. Don't look around. Just just look up. As an act, as an act of faith, raise your eyes toward heaven and say, Lord Jesus, this is an act of remembrance that, Lord, you have saved me, that you want a relationship with me, that I am in a relationship with you not because of anything I've done but because of the gift of your grace I'm yours look up God I'm, I'm, I'm committing to you today look up to heaven and say Lord I, I, I'm yours because you called me I'm yours because of the freedom that you give Heavenly Father, you are all majesty and glory and dominion is yours forever. And we are honestly all like Nebuchadnezzar. We build our little cities and we strut around them and very often we think, oh, we're all that. But the truth is our lives come and go so very fast. And yet, Lord, we know there is sin within us. We know that you call for us to deal with that sin. And so we are so grateful this morning for Jesus who dealt with all our sin because he is the better king. His, his city will last forever. He invites us into his garden. He is gentle and patient and kind, he is humble. So help us, Lord, to receive all that he has for us that we might leave here right with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.